Well, good morning. I'm Pastor John King, the executive pastor here at Cedar Crest. And I'm going to continue our study in 1 John and understanding what it means to walk in the light. But before we get into the message, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I know I need him this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would give me the words to say. I pray for the filling of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts and minds this morning, that you would help people to see where uh, they need to be convicted, where they need to be encouraged, where they need to live uh, for you, Lord. And I pray that you would allow the words I have to say to be your words. And Lord, we commit this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. So in light of Children's Ministry Sunday, we have a lot of children in here today. Uh, so children, most of you have just finished your schooling this past year. In the last couple of weeks, you've just finished. So what, children, what is one thing that your teachers do to help to understand how well you've learned uh, the information they've shared with you, what they've taught you over the last several weeks, months, and year? What do they give you uh, periodically throughout the year? Malachi? Test. Yes. They give you tests. That's how they know whether you've learned the information that they've shared with you or if you have not learned what they share with you. Uh, and so you, you take these tests throughout the year, and at the end of the year you might take a big exam to know if you learned anything throughout the year. Well, in 1 John, John gives his readers, his audience, some tests to know whether or not they are walking in the light to know whether or not they are true believers of Jesus Christ. And the test that we're going to look at today, he gives several tests, but we're only going to look at one today. And the test that we see in 1 John 3, 11 through 15 is, do we love one another? Do we love one another? And someone that loves his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that love others, are true followers of Jesus Christ. So let's look at 1 John 3, verses 11 to 15, and see what John has to say to us this morning. 1 John 3, 11 through 15. And the Word of God says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John starts here in verse 11 and saying, This is not a new message. This is not anything new I'm teaching you. You've heard this from the beginning. This is something that you've heard before. So as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about my children. My daughter that is almost 10 years old. From the time that she was old enough to understand and be able to do it, we've been telling her after she plays with her toys, she needs to pick up her toys. So at 10, if I go to her and say, pick up your toys, and she looks at me surprised, I'd be like, no, I've been telling you this for a long time. This shouldn't be a come as a surprise to you. It's something that I've been teaching you for a very long time. And so then, you know, she would, she would go into action and realizing, okay, yes, Dad's told me this many times, I need to pick up my toys. Well, John here, in, in John 3, 11 through 15, is telling his, his audience that this isn't something new, I'm telling you. This is something that you've heard from the first time you've heard the gospel, that you're supposed to love your brothers, to love others. And, and if you even look back to verse two, or chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. 
So he's already even said it in this, this letter that he's writing to his audience. He's already said this once. And also, if you look at Jesus' words, if we look at John 13, 35 to 30, 34 to 35, we see that Jesus also told this. Uh, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love, have love for one another. And also in John 15, 12, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So John, the, the apostle, has told them before. Jesus had told them, and they've heard this message since they first believed that they were supposed to love one another. So this is not a new command to them. It shouldn't be a surprise to them. It's something that they've heard many times before. And I'm sure for you that are sitting here today, this isn't the first time you've heard it either. But just like John's audience, we need to obey God's word, and we need to love one another. So how do we love one another? Well, John explains here in verses 11 to 15 how we can love one another. This passage teaches us several ways that we can live to love others. The first way is to live righteously towards each other. I just had the privilege to officiate a wedding on Friday. And it's really cool to see the bride and groom as they stand there uh, staring at one another, in love with one another, sharing their vows with one another, to see what truly righteous love for one another is. How to live righteously towards one another. At that moment, in that place, they are truly in love with one another. That's all that's on their mind. They've forgotten everything else, everybody that's standing around. They forget that I'm even there. They don't hear a word I say. But they're engaged in one another and they love one another. And they're willing to do anything for that person at that moment. Well, that's what living righteously for others is, is, is to put aside other things, everything our desires, our needs. And Philippians 2.4 says, let each of us not look to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. So if we're going to live righteously towards others, we have to forget our needs, our wants, what we desire, and think of what others need, what they want, what they desire, and put them before ourselves. But we see here that John is comparing this to Cain. And Cain did not do that. He, he compares Cain, Cain to his brother Abel. Abel lived righteously towards others. Cain did not. Look with me at verse 12. 1 John 3, verse 12. It says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So Cain's deeds were evil. To better understand this, so let's, let's look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 to 8. And if you want to turn there, you can. It's a little bit longer verse. So if you want to turn there, Genesis 4, verses 2 to 8. In the middle of verse, eight, uh, verse 2, it says, Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And Cain spoke to his brother Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. 
So the difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering was faith. Abel offered his offering in faith. But instead, Cain did what he wanted, what he saw right in his eyes. He, he didn't obey God's word, but he did what he wanted to do. And because he did that, this envy for his brother came in his heart. And that envy led to hatred. And that hatred led to murder. And ultimately, that's what he did. He murdered his brother. And it was all because he didn't obey what God had told him to do. So let's, let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21 to 22, about hatred and murder. You have heard it that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell fire. So Jesus is saying that hatred is just as bad as murder. And, and, and in God's eyes, hatred is equal to murder. So everyone who hates his brother is like murdering his brother. That's how extreme uh, both John, Jesus, and we see in Genesis how extreme hatred is. is it's like murder. And so in verse 15, back in 1 John, we see that it, hatred, hatred of your brother is like murder, and if you are a murderer, you don't have eternal life. It says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So if you have hatred in your, in your life, if you are allowing bitterness and hatred to, to reign in your life, it's saying here that you're not a follower of Jesus. If you're a true follower of Jesus, you're going to love others, and you're going to think of their needs and their desires and their wants. And you're going to help them and be there for them. So we need to live righteously towards one another. Just like Abel was righteous. And not be like Cain who was evil. So let us live righteously towards each other. But also, in order for us to love one another, we need to live different from the world. So as I was thinking about a public figure that lives different than the world, I thought of Nick Foles. Here's a guy that just last year, was a backup quarterback. He, he knew that more than likely he wasn't going to play much with Carson Wentz in, in front of him. But, you know, he just, he did his job. He played backup, and sure enough, Carson Wentz got hurt, and Nick Foles got to play. And as Nick started playing, he looked all right at first, but then it was, there was a lot of questions about whether or not he was going to be able to do anything with this team and lead this team. And, and so all the critics started coming out and saying, oh, he's not going to do anything, he's useless, we might as well get somebody else in there. And, but Nick didn't respond to that. He just kept doing his job. He kept practicing and getting better. And we all know what happened. He got better and he got better and eventually he won the Super Bowl. And not just won the Super Bowl, he became the MVP of the Super Bowl. But the critics didn't stop there. They, and they're still talking about the fact that, you know, when Carson Wentz comes back, Nick's going to be on the bench again. And, and Nick Foles could have easily at that point, after winning a Super Bowl and being the MVP of the Super Bowl, gone to the Eagles and said, you know, I want to be traded or I want more money or whatever. But he realized that being a part of the team is more important than getting more money or being the star. And, and so he was very different than most of the superstars that we see in the world today. Most of these guys are about, you know, making the most money and being the star of the team. And a lot of times they aren't willing to be a team player. But Nick Foles was different. 
He said, I'd rather be on a good team and be a team player and be a part of a winning team than be the superstar at some other team and, and maybe not win championships. And so, you know, he, he had a different outlook on it. He lived different than those that, that are in that same arena as him. Well, we as believers should live different from the world. We should look different from the world. Look at verse 13. It says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So, if the world is haters, then we should not be haters. We should look different than that. And the world is going to hate like Cain hated. They're going to hate other people. And they're going to be envious and jealous, just like Cain was. And if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, the world's going to hate you. And Jesus warned us about that. In John 15, verses 18 and 19, it says, If the world hates you... Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And also in John 17, 14 to 16, it says, I have given them, my, given, given, them, given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So Jesus made it very clear that we should look different than the world, number one. And when we look different than the world, the world's going to hate us. And we should have comfort, though, that the world hated Christ first. It, It shouldn't come to a surprise that the world doesn't like us. But no matter what the world does to us, whether it hates us or does love us, we need to show love to the world. We need to show love to others. In Proverbs 25:21 to 22 it says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So what, what should we do when the world hates us? We should respond with love. We should help them in their time of need. We should look different than them. We should look different than what the response that they would expect from the world. When the world hates you, they expect you to respond. Just like when critics criticize Nick Foles, they're looking for a response. They're looking for him to to lash out and respond to their, their criticism. But instead, he just kept his mouth shut and kept doing his job. Well, what we need to do when critics come, when people persecute you, persecute you or criticize you or whatever, or hate you, show them love and response. And it, and it says in Proverbs, it's like heaping burning coals on their head. So that's the response we should have when the world hates us. And looking back at John 15:35, we see that the world will know us by our love. They'll know that we're disciples of Jesus Christ because of our love. So as we love and respond in love, they're going to know that we're followers of Jesus. So we should live different from the world. So we've, we've looked at that we should live righteously towards each other if we're going to live in love for, for others. And we should live different from the world. Thirdly, we should live as you have been saved from death. We should live as though you've been saved from death. I don't know if any of you, anybody here knows somebody that's had a near-death experience. But if you don't know somebody, maybe you've seen it in a movie or TV show where there's somebody that's just been close to dying and... and Thankfully, they've come back to life. They, you know, they didn't die. Um, they were revived or whatever it may be. Most of the time when that happens, when somebody has that close encounter with death, 
They come back a changed person. They act, they talk, they interact with people different than they did before. They're, they're, they're much kinder, they're much more considerate. They're, they're thinking of others rather than thinking of themselves. And it's because they've been given a second chance. Well, friends, we've been given a second chance. When Jesus died on the cross for us and rose again on the third day, he, he's given us a second chance at life. And we've been risen out of death into life. And if we've been risen into life, we should live that way. Um, and look at verse 14. 1 John verse uh, three fourteen. It says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So if we've been passed from death into life, We've given, been given the second chance. We've been given new life. We should be loving our brothers. We should be loving others. So the reason that we have passed from death to life is found though in 1 John 4, 9 to 11. Just flip over one page or look the other side of, the, of your, your Bible there. At verses, uh, 1 John 4, 9 to 11. It says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love others. So it's because of what Jesus did for us that we've been given this new life. It's because of the sacrifice he made on the cross. He's been our propitiation, which means he's been our substitute. He's taken the wrath that we deserve from God. He shed his blood to cover our sins. And because he's done that, we have been given new life. We've been given a second chance. And if we have that hope in us, we should be sharing it with others by loving them, loving others. That love that God has shown us should out of that love that God has shown us should flow a thankfulness to God and a love for others. Because of his love for us, we should be loving others. One of the authors I read this week said, those who have passed from death to life will desire Christian fellowship, prayer and worship together, talking on spiritual things, and their personal relationship will be marked by unselfish, caring love. We should be marked by unselfish, caring love. And so how do, we, how do we show that unselfish, caring love? Well, look at verse 16 in 1 John 3. Just one verse past the, the scripture that we've read today. It says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So how did God so, show his love to us? Well, he laid down his life for us. So how do we show love to others? Well, we lay down our lives for others. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to lay down your life for others? And that might not mean death. It means sacrificing what you want for others. Putting others first. Putting their, their, what they need before what you need. So how do we, how do we practically uh, live this out in our, in our church today? So as I was thinking through this, I was thinking about Vision 2020. The church has laid out this vision and this desire that we have uh, for us as a church as we move forward, as we try to reach towards 2020. And one of the ways, one of the things, the aspects of the vision is to be a caring church. Well, if we love others, we will be a caring church. We're going to care for those that come through those doors. 
We're going to care for those that have, have hurts, that are struggling, whether it's emotionally, physically, in, in any way. Maybe it's a financial struggle. We're going to show love to them. We're going to accept them no matter what they look like or what their past has been. We're going to care for them. And that's our hope and our desire for this church that will be a caring church. Not only though will we be a caring church, we strive to be a serving church. We know uh, Jesus said in Mark 10:45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to this earth not to be served by the people. When he came, the people thought that he was coming to be king, and they wanted to set him up as king. But he didn't come for them to come serve him. He came to serve others. And he served by giving his life a ransom for others. Well, are you serving? We heard a challenge this morning from the children's ministry that there's a lot of needs out there. There's a lot of areas that you could be serving in. But it's not just children's ministries. There's, there's many needs. There's the music ministry. There's uh, Sunday school ministries. There's, there's a lot of areas where you could be serving. Are you serving in the church? But not just serving in the church, but also serving in the world. Are you being a part of service in the world? Coaching, leading, leading a, a band or something like that. There's so many different ways that you could serve in the world. But God's gifted you. He's given you talents, abilities that are different from mine. Are you using those things that God's gifted you with to serve others? If you love others, you'll serve others. And thirdly, we, we've just said that we, would, we desire to be a speaking church. And in Luke 10, 19, it, said, it says, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So if Jesus came to this earth to seek and to save the lost, don't you think that's what we should be doing too? And that's what, you know, Brianna shared our mission statement. To make disciples of Jesus Christ here in the Lehigh Valley and among the nations, especially unreached people's groups. Well, that's speaking the gospel. That's sharing this good news that we have with other people. If Jesus did it, shouldn't we be doing it? Isn't that the mission that he left us with, to be a speaking church, to share this good news with others? As I was preparing for this, this message today, I came across this article. It came across Fox News. And the title of it is, I'm a pastor and I want you to quit church now. It's an interesting title. But listen, listen to the first part of this article. At a time when the church attendance is shrinking in America, I as a pastor am encouraging people to quit church. Why? The answer is birthed out of the conversations and research I have been a part of over the last several years. Regularly I meet and train pastors and church leaders from all over the country through my leadership platform, Church Boom. The conversations carry on a common theme. A lot of people attend churches attend church are passive towards serving, giving, and community outreach. In most churches, 80% of the work is being carried out by 20% or less of the people. We become a church of spectators, and the pastoral staff is getting burned out. Amen to that. According to my personal research, the problems are even bigger than the 80-20 principle. Only 39% of active believers consider the Bible as the literal word of God. Less than 20% of professing believers follow the the biblical principle of giving. And only 5% have shared their faith with a non-believer. More than half of the, all the church, member, uh, church attenders attend church once a month or less. Something has to change. 
Casual attendance and the belief that others will serve, give, and share the gospel are tearing down churches across our country brick by brick. As believers, it's time that we are either all in or we get out. The solution is simple. Quit. That's right, quit. If we quit the the casual way we approach God's principles, can you imagine what would happen in our personal walks of faith in our community of believers? What if every believer exercised generosity? What if every Christian fought for the loyalty in the local church? What if everyone served in their God-given purpose? What What would happen if we stopped simply believing and started belonging? If we'd only quit... That way we approach our relationships to Christ in our local church. The blessing, the reward, the joy, and the fulfillment, the purpose, and the increase would radically transform our lives and the world. Together, we can revolutionize the church. But the only way we can do this is if we quit. So my challenge to you is to quit doing church as a spectator. Quit being passive in your involvement in the church and get involved. Be part of the serving ministry. Be part of the speaking ministry. Be part of the caring ministry. Get involved in this way. And when you do those things, people will see that you love them. How better to show our love than to serve others, to care for their needs, to speak the good news of Jesus Christ to them. There's a lost and dying world out there. And if we love our family members, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors... We should be sharing the gospel with them. We should be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them. So let me challenge you to live righteously towards each other, to live different from the world, and to live as though you've been saved from death. And you do that by loving one another. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this challenge from your word. Thank you that you have shown us in your word how you would have us to live our lives for you. Thank you for salvation that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. May we live differently today. May we live righteously towards others. May we live different from the world. And may we live as though we've been saved from death. We've been given a second chance, Lord. You've saved us by your grace. May we share this good news with others. May we serve others and may we care for others. And Lord, may you be honored and glorified through our lives. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.